You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schliff. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So we're not doing an interview today. Going to get back to the uh, reg- regular scheduled programming of uh, rantings and ramblings. Got a few random observations, just things that I've thought of or noticed over the last couple days as I haven't been able to get thoughts out of my mind. And we'll also look at a few questions that have accumulated over the course of time. But before we get there, be sure to uh, check out the description. I've got a telephone number in there that you can uh, call into the show if you've got any questions or any comments that you'd like to offer. There is the link of links. Click said link, and you'll find just a plethora of amazingness. Got a link for Packernet t-shirts, a link to join the Facebook group, several links to support the podcast, a discount code. For a PFF subscription, which, by the way, is coming, as I said, for those that didn't hear, I'm just waiting until the first of the month. Then I'm going to do a random drawing and find out who is going to be getting that PFF subscription. But again, if you want your own, be sure to check out that link. And then NFLBigBoard.com, I actually just added, I think, yesterday, if you didn't see, um, a couple couple different uh, summer scouting reports, thanks to Mr. Mark Jarvis. The guy works really, really, really hard. And... um, I've done some work with him in the past. I, I tried to just bring him on board and be like, hey, you want to just come write for the site and get paid to do it? He's like, nah, I don't really like the format of websites. I like my Excel spreadsheet because I can make it look pretty. All right, man. I mean, I'd, I'd be willing to pay you, but that's whatever. But anyway, so you can go to NFLBigBoard.com. You got the whole list of, I think there's like 167 players so far. Links to their highlights, links to their um, their film on YouTube. A link to their news, you know, their news profile on Roto World, and then um, not a ton so far, but a good jump on their summer scouting reports. If you're into that kind of stuff, you know. Otherwise, we'll take our break and we will be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So as for my uh, random observations, the first one I'm actually really upset about, um, the one thing I'm really upset about the interviews is that I couldn't get this out before Brian Baldinger came out and said the exact same thing I was going to say. Um, If you looked on Twitter, and I've I've seen this before, but somebody recently posted or reposted or whatever, it's it's every catch beyond 15 yards from Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And I watched it, 
and I, I don't know why I didn't notice it before, but when I watched it, and if you can find it on Twitter, go watch it, and I'm sure it'll just hit you. I don't want to make it sound... Every time I say stuff like this, I feel like people are rolling their eyes like, oh, sure, you thought of it first. But just go watch it. You can't help but see it. I thought it just reminded me exactly of Jordy Nelson. Now, I know they're different players. Jordy Nelson is a more talented guy. It's why he was a second-round pick and, and all that stuff. Not necessarily as athletically gifted, but very, very talented wide receiver. But the, the bottom line is, and granted, they're only his 15-yard or more plays, so it's going to look this way. But it's all just beating people deep and back shoulder throws. And I saw that and I was like, dude, that's Jordy. <laughs> that's Jordy Nelson. And sure enough, like the very next day after I saw that, Brian Baldinger uh, puts a video out on his thing, which is actually a lot of fun to watch. I really am enjoying all the stuff that he's putting out. He's got stuff on his own personal Facebook or whatever where he's breaking down film, but then he's also got this show that I have to start watching a lot more of. Uh, I talked about the one about Akeem Hicks that was just fantastic. But it was really cool, and it's really neat to be able to think to maybe be able to have that sort of a, a, a player kind of like Jordy Nelson, maybe not quite as good as Jordy Nelson, but to have that type of player opposite Devontae Adams is really, really cool. And it, it really makes a lot of sense, even if that's like the only two things in your repertoire, but it's cool to see that it's kind of building off of it. Because if you think about it, and I never really have before, the back shoulder throw actually makes a lot of sense because you're a burner. Right When you're the guy that runs past people, and you're the guy that runs those deep routes, if you're Marquez Valdez-Scantling and you're able to just get around him and just beat them deep and you do that like three times in a row, what's the DB doing? He's just saying in his head, oh no, not again. And he starts sprinting as fast as he possibly can. So Rodgers chucks the ball behind both of them. And when Marquez turns around and adjusts to the ball, the DB's just flying past him. I mean, one of two things is going to happen. He's just going to fly right past him, and it's an easy reception. Not easy for the sake of the quarterback, because that's a ridiculously hard throw, but we know Aaron Rodgers is talented enough to do it. Or the defensive back is just going to grab him, and that's automatic pass interference. Well, I shouldn't say automatic, but that should be a pass interference. And that's one of those things that those two can and need to work on, but it looks like they, they executed it to perfection. But as their relationship grows, because it's one of those things, as I said before, it, it, part of the reason Jordy was so talented in Green Bay and then he goes somewhere else, it was, I don't think it was just his age, but he goes somewhere else and he wasn't nearly as good, is because a lot of what they did was relational. It was understanding that it, it doesn't matter if you're open. It has nothing to do with open. I'm going to put the ball here and you, you know, you're going to be there by the time the ball gets there. And it's an, it's an indefensible pass because you're not, there's no way for the defensive back to know what's going on, right? That back shoulder throw is just not fair. And there was maybe only like a two-year window where that was just like unstoppable. Literally, like every every reception was just, Jordy just turns and catches the ball. And it's like, come on, man, what, what are you supposed to do to stop that? But that'd be a really good one for those two to work on. And it was really exciting to watch. And again, just, just go try to find that. Actually, I just found it for you. It's in the, if you can't find it, it's in the uh, Packernet Podcast Facebook group. So you'll be able to find it there, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it. It's like, yeah, that's 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 Jordy. Again, I'm not saying he's Jordy. I'm just saying you watch the highlight video, and it feels like Jordy. Get a little nostalgic. So that got me excited. Observation number two. As I was looking through uh, Mr. Danny Vitale and some of the things that he's done, trying to figure out, because I was working on a little little project, something I was thinking about maybe doing for Patreon that I thought would be kind of fun. Right, I guess I'll just say what it is. I was thinking about having little watch parties, whether it would be a recording or a live stream or whatever, but 
using PFF, going back and finding each player's best game ever. So Aaron Rodgers' best game, Marquez's best game, all this stuff. And just go back and watch. And it's, it's fun for different reasons, right? Just watching Aaron Rodgers' best game, I'm sure, would be a lot of fun. But also, you know, seeing the upside of guys like Equinemius, Marquez, you know, whoever. But as I'm going through, I'm looking at uh, Mr. Danny Vitale. Not that I ever really expected to watch a full game of him. I, you know, I don't really know what to do in those situations. Or is he's on the field like four times, we're going to watch a whole game or what? But I wanted to figure out, you know, for example, if I'm looking at a wide receiver, do I want to find his best game as a receiver? Or do I want to find his best game overall, including like blocking and stuff, which who cares? So I thought for Vitaly, well, I want to know what he can do as a runner, right? Blocking is definitely important. And receiving is important because I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of him being successful in this LaFleur scheme. But so is running the football. Maybe you already know the answer. So, uh, you know, we'll let the other kids in the class participate here. But take take a couple minutes and think, how many times do you think he has run the ball? And I guess I'm surprised by this only because of the level of excitement that there is surrounding Danny Vitale, who's been in the NFL since 2016. Played for the Browns in 2016 and 2017, and then obviously the Packers in 2018. Not surprisingly, he's mostly a blocker because he's a fullback. And he's got eight receptions to his name as a fullback. Want to know what the answer is? Zero. Zero times in three years. He has never once run a football in the NFL. Ever. Not once on the goal line, not once anywhere ever. I'm just beyond shocked by that. And that, by the way, includes preseason. Including preseason. Never once run the ball. 139 preseason snaps. Not one time did he touch the ball. As a runner, that is. That's crazy to me. How do you put a fullback on the field 139 times and never once give him a football? I don't know. I don't know if that's blowing your mind, but it's blowing mine. And for the record, Danny Vitale played uh, fullback for the Northwestern Wildcats. He had 135 receptions for 1,427 yards and 11 touchdowns in four years at Northwestern. 135 receptions. He ran the ball six times. So in seven years of playing football, he has run the ball six times. This isn't about, I'm not, I'm not making any kind of statement whatsoever about good or bad. I'm just, I think that's weird. The most rushing attempts he's ever had. Let, let me rephrase it. The only time in seven years that he has rushed the ball more than once in a year is in 2013. He ran the ball four times for 27 yards, which is 6.8 average. Outside of that, in 2012, he ran the ball once for two yards. In 2014, he ran the ball once for zero yards. He has never once scored a rushing touchdown. Are we sure he's not a tight end? And to be honest, I, I don't think that that's even bad considering the, the scheme and all that. Right? I've, I've talked before about how that one role, granted the, the shanahan types use fullbacks and tight ends. I'm not saying it's one, it has to be one or the other. But there is often an important role for a fullback that sometimes can be substituted as a tight end and H-back, I guess, kind of role. And so Danny Vitale could possibly fit that pretty well, but, you know, an H-back is, it, it, you know, in my mind, it's more of a tight end than a fullback. But in my mind, I think Danny Vitale is more of a tight end than a fullback. And, and, and branching off of that thought, it's also entirely possible that Danny Vitale, if he does kind of break out, it's not so much, I, 
I think it's entirely possible that if he breaks out, it's because he's been used improperly for a very long time. And actually at New Northwestern, and I only know this because I'm currently watching highlights because this is this is just a lot of fun but with where my brain is going with this. They called him the super back, and basically he just lines up as a wide receiver all the time. Because he's a tight end! <laughs> okay? So I'm, I'm going to post this in uh, also in the Facebook group. Be sure to get in there. I mean, he... Dude, he's, he's a tight end, man. He's just, he lines up as a slot receiver, and he's running past linebackers, and he's making great catches. I mean, the dude is, why aren't they running him the ball? Well, I mean, if, if you decided to run him, it's because he's a running back, because he's closer to being a running back at, at 239 pounds running a 4.6 than he is a fullback, which is closer to, what, 255? Running typically like a 4.7, not that slow is more beneficial, but I'm just saying, he's not built like a typical fullback. Now I'm getting excited. I I, I, uh, I I hate jumping on hype trains of guys that have shown nothing, but I really, really hope that we try to use this guy in this way. And I know these are, first of all, it's a highlight video, so those are always misleading. And, and second of all, it's college. But we've got a fullback, 240 pounds, that runs a 4.6. We know what the Shanahan type guys do with guys like this. These are massive mismatch opportunities and, and the bottom line is he can be on the field a lot as a lead blocker and when we talk about Shanahan or LaFleur or McVeigh or Gruden or whatever kind of routes you want to initially go to it's what is it it's it's line up and show the same play over and over again but mix it up do different things so you're running outside zone you got Danny Vitale out as a lead blocker and that's the look he comes out and he blocks for running backs he comes out and he blocks for Rodgers but sometimes he comes out and he blows right past your linebacker. He's got just enough speed that if you over-pursue because it's outside zone and, and Aaron Jones is flying to the outside and your linebacker's got to get cooking to that side. And I talked about Jay Sternberger's another one that'll be great at this. Jimmy Graham even, without having as much speed as he's had in the past. The guys who have just enough speed that if you're going really fast in the wrong direction as a linebacker, and you see a Danny Vitale or a Jay Sternberger or whatever run in the other direction at full speed, you're kind of already done for. All right, they kind of run out that way and, and feign blocking, or maybe they throw a little chip block or whatever and then just book it to the other direction, and you got a wide-open Danny Vitale who's basically a tight end. I'm starting to understand where this weird hype train came from because it just kind of fits. Now, again, I don't have anything to go off of in terms of his NFL experience that says, yep, he's going to be really good, other than to say this makes sense. And and as far as, well, why didn't it work with the Packers? Because Mike McCarthy was his coach. That's why. A fullback to Mike McCarthy is, is, a, is sort of an old school guy. You bring him in on the goal line and he punches it in. You bring him in on fourth and one, and he either lead blocks, is a decoy, or smacks it across the line. That's what a fullback is. Occasionally he'll go out and, and catch a pass, but this is a new age fullback in which basically somebody who isn't a fullback gets called a fullback, makes the defense think he's a fullback, and then goes and does what he normally does. He's, he's one of those tweeners. He's, he's, he's got one foot in each camp. Fullback slash running back slash tight end slash wide receiver where it's just shades in different right as, as far as being a running back he's kind of built like one like a really big one and maybe isn't very good but he could do it right the speed alone is there right, four six isn't blazing speed but for a running back it's it's kind of standard right Aaron Jones is a four five guy four five six he ran 
So I don't know. I and you know whether or not Danny Vitale is the guy, I could see a this type of of player really standing out. And again, Northwestern didn't even mess around. They just lined him up as a wide receiver. I mean, I, maybe they they did other stuff too, but as far as his highlight reels, he's just he's just out wide. There's no deception going on. Lafleur is going to use deception. Not to say he's ever going he's not ever going to just split him out or motion him around or whatever. But typically, you want the defense to think one thing and do a different thing. You want to use him as a decoy and make the defense think that he's going to be doing something that he's not going to be doing. And if you split him out wide. You know, I, I don't think there's too many plays where you split him out wide and then he comes back and tricks you by blocking. That's usually not a thing. I mean, not that he can't. I'm just saying it's, it's usually the other way around. And they, they just called him a tight end in the, in the, uh, the video. Yeah, if you, even if you look at the description, maybe I'm just dumb. Maybe you guys all knew this and I didn't. Uh, in the video that I'm going to post in the group, if you look at the description, it says, Highlights of Northwestern's tight end slash H-back hybrid Danny Vitale. That's exactly what he is. He's a tight end H-back. He's not a fullback. I mean, he kind of is. That's sort of what an H-back is. It's like a hybrid between a tight end and a fullback. But coming to the NFL and being cast as a fullback and then never running the ball and what, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just dumb and I didn't know. I just saw fullback and I saw a tiny guy. And then I saw he never ran the football. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Yeah, dude, dude's a tight end. Which, by the way, would mean that the Packers officially do not have a fullback on the roster. I mean, as far as, like, old school, you know, guys that actually run the ball once in a while, those kinds of guys, we don't have one. But yeah, his his build is all kinds of weird. His height is definitely closer to running back fullback, right? Typical running back is about 5'11", typical fullback is about 6'1", he's six foot, so he's in between. But being 239, typical running back is about 217, typical fullback 247, typical tight end 253. So I guess he's kind of like a really light fullback. But then you look at 40 times, typical fullback runs a 485, tight end 476, running back 459. The average running back runs a 459. Danny Vitale basically is, is average running back speed. A lot faster than not only fullbacks, but tight ends. Again, 476 for most tight ends. He's running a 46. So, you know, the bottom line is Danny Vitale, if he's ever going to be successful, he needs to go to an offense like the Packers have. He's never going to make it in a Mike McCarthy offense. He was never going to make it with the Browns. Maybe they will now. I don't really know much about what Freddie Kitchens does. He spent a lot of time with the uh, the Arizona Cardinals from 20, 2007 to 2017, so he's got kind of a Bruce Arians thing. And I don't know what Bruce Arians does with fullbacks and tight ends. I don't really know what his whole thing is. But the bottom line is, again, this is what Danny Vitale needs. The question is, what is Lafleur's plan for him, and uh, can, you know, can he kind of fit that role? And and really, if you, <laughs> this is getting, I'm, I'm getting off into goofy territory, and this is the kind of stuff I try to avoid, right? Hyping up a guy who has done absolutely nothing in the NFL, because most of the time, a person's track record is what their track record is going to be. It's why I refuse to hype up Geronimo Allison. He might break out. That's true, but I've got about how how many years now of of you know, data, whether it be statistics, grades, whatever, that says that he's just kind of mediocre. And although occasionally people do break out, if they do, it's usually going to be guys like Devontae Adams who are drafted in the second round. So usually I'm going to use the historical data of what they've done already to kind of guide my decisions. However, even looking at, again, when you look at that George Kittle type, he's a smaller, faster tight end. Right, he ran a 4.52, so he's blazing fast. But again, a lot of what makes Kittle great is is not only the fact that he's and he's also six foot four, so he's really tall. 
but the straight line speed of it is is only a small portion of that. I mean, the difference between four five two and four six, when you get down to it, it's it's not that big of a difference. George Kittle is lethal partly because he's a very talented guy, but it, it's again George Kittle would not have been a, a fraction of of what he is had he played for a guy like Mike McCarthy. Because George Kittle would be, you know, hey, you're tall and you're fast. You're going to run in a straight line like the rest of our guys and try to beat the guy in front of you. And he'd be able to do it on occasion, but it's, it's again, the misdirection. Scheming him open and just watching what he can do. And I'm real excited to see if Jay Sternberger can, can fill that role, but there's every reason to believe that Danny Vitale is on that, that list as well. Now, I think Jay Sternberger is a much better receiver than Danny Vitale is, but I just, I really can see him and you know who cares about George Kittle it's not about finding that one guy it's just about all the different pieces you think about all the different formations you can line up in especially with with tight ends and fullbacks especially when your fullback is Danny Vitale who's essentially a tight end but you go on the field with Aaron Jones Danny Vitale Jay Sternberger and you line them up in a formation that basically says despite the fact that that Sternberger maybe isn't the greatest blocker in the world but who cares you line up in a heavy package it's telegraphing we're going to run. And if you do run and you are able to run successfully, that's it. And that's why they say that you build around an outside from the outside zone, right? It, it, that's the foundation because if you can run successfully and you can get the big boys out there and push people out of the way and get six-yard chunks, it's, it's game over because then you can start building off of that and running different routes. And, and regardless of how big of a role Danny has... It's, it's almost inconceivable to me that he isn't a part of the plan. Now, don't misunderstand. My, my assumption at this point is that LaFleur has a lot of plans for Danny Vitale, but he's not building the offense around him because there's still a question mark as far as is he good enough to play in the offense. I'm not predicting anything as far as how good he's going to be. I'm just saying he has the skill set to take this offense to an incredible level. And it's almost because he's a tweener. It's almost because he's not... A, a strictly a fullback or strictly a tight end that he's kind of in between that the defense doesn't really know you know whether he leans into the team uh, the the tight end camp or leans into the fullback camp it, it it throws you off and beyond that the other really really exciting thing is this doesn't work if he can't block now as as a run blocker it's and this is using pff grades here which is primarily what he's done it's not super great however as a pass blocker which he hasn't done nearly as much of, but for three years consistently he has been categorized as very good. To give some context, and this is actually hilarious, if you look at at 2018 and you don't pay any attention to total snap counts, there are actually two Packers running backs in the top 10 as far as pass blocking. Out of 154 backs, Aaron Jones was the third best pass blocker, Bet you didn't know that little tidbit. I was saying that a lot last year where everyone's talking about how good uh, Jamal Williams is, and he is very good, but he kind of had a period where it was kind of falling off. It's actually kind of similar to Jair where he was so good early on that we just kind of carried that on later in the season even as he kind of slowly drifted in the wrong direction, and we just keep assuming like, oh, he's a really good pass blocker, and as the season progressed, Aaron Jones was a much better pass blocker than, than Jamal, which is part of the reason that Aaron is just unbelievable. Another little side note, if he can pick it up as a receiver, and I know he's already talented, I'm just talking about taking it to that next level. We've got a guy that can pass block, be a great receiver, and of course is a phenomenal running back. But Danny Vitale is the seventh best pass blocker in the NFL of, of all backs. The number one blocking fullback. So the question of does he have the talent to be a blocker 
to kind of, you know, pretend he's going to stand in, but actually go run a route? I think he does. No, the biggest problem, again, is going to be the fact that he can't run block. And I think the, the biggest reason for that is he's not big enough. He's not a road grader. You know, he, he goes up and he's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna meet, uh, you know, Linval Joseph in the hole and push him back so that we got a little spit. No, you're not. You're not going to hit a 300-pound defensive lineman and push him out of the way on the goal line. Now, maybe if you want to run block to the, you know, use an outside zone and try to, you know, hit a linebacker, you got a shot. If you're going to go smoke a wide receiver, yeah, excuse me, a cornerback, that's fine. Try not to hit the wide receivers, please. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all in, man. And I, I very, again, I very rarely like to do this where I look at somebody who has nothing to show for and say, I think he's going to be really good. But um, I kind of think he's going to be pretty good. And, and good is, is just, I think he's going to be good enough at his job to make the team. And I think he's going to be utilized by LaFleur because he's so versatile. And I think he has that, that potential to really mess up a defense. And so he's going to be on the roster. I think he's going to be utilized to a relatively decent extent. And I think he's going to be able to execute um, what LaFleur asks him to do. So am I saying he's going to be George Kittle? No. I think he's going to be a weapon that is utilized occasionally, and it's it's with some some success, which doesn't sound like much of a, a prediction, but this is I'm coming a long way from where I was. And for the record, Danny Vitale will from now on be referred to as a super back by me. Actually, I'll probably forget, but I hope I don't. Just like how I said I would remember that from now on I'm going to say Bears fans wear diapers, or is it the Bears wore diapers? I already forgot. It doesn't matter. Yeah, this is a this is a fun little highlight video, man. This is awesome. And again, it's just he's just split out wide. He beats corners and you know goes and gets big chunks and touchdowns. And 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 the, <laughs> I can't stop. This was gonna be this literally was gonna be like a thirty second thing. And I thought these observations would be done quick, but he split out wide and has enough ability to beat corners on occasion. But when he lines up as an H back. And a linebacker, you know, he runs like a wheel route at a linebacker. It's 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 game over. Again, this is college, but you know, still, it's it's, yeah, man. I mean, even I mean, go watch the video and look at about one minute and fifty five seconds at that play where he scores a touchdown. Watch the slow mo and look what he does to the cornerback's hands as he tries to jam him. I mean, it's 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 technique too. Cornerback tries to jam him. He just swats his hands out of the way, curls back to the inside, and gets a touchdown. Not a ton of separation, but it's enough that he doesn't get jammed. He gets all the way around him. He gets out well enough in front, and then has good enough hands to be able to make the catch for a touchdown. And he makes it. And he makes it look easy. Yeah, and, and geez, third down plays, right? Third and short. Danny Vitale's in as a fullback. He runs out as though he's going to block, and just keeps running. Ends up being a play action pass. He's got more than enough space because he's up against linebackers, and you're only trying to gain one yard. Easy first down. And again, when your fullback is running at four six speed. And you got linebackers who don't want to, you know, you don't want to get dumb. You know, I mean, you can't over-pursue in any direction, right? If you go chasing Danny Vitale, you're, you're going to be in a lot of trouble if they end up running the ball up the gut. You also have to watch because when the line starts moving to the right, you know, 20% of the time you got ru- receivers and, and fullbacks and tight ends who are running back to the left. So you got to watch that. But you also kind of have to watch in the middle and make sure that, you know, that's your primary responsibility is the running back, making sure he doesn't get right up the gut on a one-yard hit. So again, a, a fullback like Danny Vitale with great hands running a 4-6, who looks like he's running out just to block, and you're primarily keeping your eyes on the on the running back, 
and he just keeps on running. I mean, you you can almost get there, but with an accurate enough quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't matter. It's an automatic first down. There's nothing you can do to stop that. Nothing. And that's what the Packers are missing. Just just running plays that are unstoppable because of the design and because of what you've done up to that point. Because if you... Oh, man. The way it was was Mike with Mike McCarthy was essentially, this is the way we play. Defenses come out and say, okay, we figured it out. Here's how we're going to stop you. And Mark, Mike McCarthy goes, that's actually a good one. We're going to keep doing that because I think we can run it well enough that you can't stop it. And then they kept stopping it. Occasionally, we'd win. Sometimes they'd win. This is different. This is this is chess, right? It, it's move, counter move, counter move, counter to this, you, you know, counter punch, this, that. And you get to the point where the defense is so terrified to do anything. And I, I, I remember referencing this, if, if you go watch college football in particular, because they use so much misdirection and everything, if you're scouting linebackers, go watch a team like, you know, I don't know, Wisconsin or something. I don't, not trying to pick on Wisconsin, i just trying to think of the most just smash mouth, you know, cut and dry, this is what we do and we do it so well, we're just going to run it down your throat. You watch some really good linebackers just come downhill and make great plays. Then you watch them go up against a team like, I don't know, Oklahoma or something. Texas Tech. Just just whatever. Some some new age kind of offense. And you see the misdirection and you just see the hesitance of the linebackers. Where they have to pause for a second because they don't know where to go. Because they've been snake bit so many times. You, you oh, oh, he's running that way. I'm going to go chase him. And somebody just beats you to the other side. And then next time you don't chase him and he throws it right to him and the coach is looking at you like, what are you doing, dummy? Go get him. Why are you just standing there? And the linebacker's just sitting in the middle of the field crying. I don't know what to do anymore. It's not fair. I don't want to play anymore. LaFleur is going to use the defense against itself. Please be aggressive. That was one of the things I noticed about the Rams offense that, that kind of blew me away. It was sort of my introduction into this. I didn't really know how the offense worked that way, but I remember watching it. It must have been... I don't know, two years ago, playoff game. I don't remember exactly what it was, but for whatever reason, I was watching the Rams, and it just it hit me that he used the over-aggression against itself. It was almost as if teams like, you know, you look at the, the Seahawks and everything, how aggressive they were and how fast they were to pursue. Guys like McVay, Shanahan, LaFleur, they love that. Please be a fast defense. Please be aggressive. Please run over there because I'm going to use all kinds of things. I'm going to point in that direction and go, that's where we're going. And you get your whole defense to swarm in that direction, and I got a guy running wide open over over here because you're not paying any attention. Yeah, my, my tight end only runs a four six five, But you know what? It's going to work just fine because he's wide open. And I don't care if he runs a four nine. That's a 10-yard play. And you get the defense to a point where it has to make a decision. Either, number one, you pursue, and if you pursue, we're going to hurt you for that. Or you stay put, in which case we're just going to have guys like Danny Vitale. Or even tight ends, you look at guys like Mercedes Lewis, and it's like, well, he doesn't really have the speed. Well, when you got guys just staying put because they're too scared to pursue, he's going to have no problem staying in the block and then just slipping out. Because the linebackers are going to be froze in their spot. And as soon as Mercedes Lewis slips out, I mean, the, the play's over. Aaron Rodgers is going to see it. He's going to throw it. And if we're talking about just trying to gain two, three, four, five yards, it's that's automatic. And again, it's not. I'm not saying Danny Vitale is going to be this great thing. He's going to break out into the scene. I'm just saying he's a perfect piece that's going to complement this whole offense. And then on top of that, we still have Devontae Adams that's just tearing it up because he's Devontae Adams, who is, you know... Again, I'm not a historian. I don't want to say, you know, Shannon Sharp was one of my 
excuse me, I'm dumb. Sterling Sharp was one of my favorite receivers ever. Him and you know Robert Brooks isn't up there, but I loved that duo. But, you know, there's, there's been a lot of great receivers over the years. But, I mean, Devontae, as far as his ability to just beat anybody and everybody, it doesn't matter if the offense is garbage, I'm going to win. It doesn't matter if the play design is dumb, I'm going to win. It doesn't matter if you're telling me to run go routes and I'm only, you know, running a, at a 4-9, which is an exaggeration. He's like a 4-5. But he doesn't have top-end speed. But you want me to beat guys deep? Guess what? I will. And I'm going to beat him with my footwork. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head fake and I'm going to get behind him. You got a guy that's not even very fast that's getting behind everybody. So you got guys that can just win and then you got a scheme and then you got guys with speed. You, you just have all these little different components that... LaFleur, if he's able to put it together, if, if his mind is, is able to work at a way that, because a lot of this is going to come down to him calling the right plays at the right time, but it's just it's just counterpunching. And he's now has the tools to be able to beat defenses. Right? Depending on what the defense is doing, if I need a guy that can do X, I've got a guy that can do it. If I need a, you know our guys to do Z, I've got a guy over there that can do it. I mean, ju- just the basic simple concept of we're going to run the ball. If you want to come up and try to stop us running the ball, we're going to beat you deep. we got a guy like Marquez that's going to get behind you all day. But you also, I mean, do you really want to assign a, a, a safety to go cover deep on that side of the field when i got Devontae over here? You're just going to leave him one-on-one? What are you going to do? What are your linebackers going to do? Forget the defensive line. They're useless. The ball's coming out quick, and we run outside zone. So we're going to be running to the outside. Those guys are going to be so gassed by halftime trying to run to the sideline every single play. They're useless. You know, Linval Joseph, Akeem Hicks, forget it. Khalil Mack, we're just going to run away from him and run at that other guy that doesn't know how to play football. This is intelligent football, and it's going to come down to, again, how how adept at this LaFleur is. We know he knows how this works, but it comes down to situationally. And and this, uh, man, all kinds of tangents today. This is what separates guys like Bill Belichick. This is why guys who have been with Bill Belichick for years go to other teams and fail. How is that possible? You know why? Because it's not a system. I mean, it is a system, but everybody that runs the Earhart Perkins system is garbage. The point is it comes down to situationally. What adjustments did you make at halftime? What is your game plan coming in based on what their offense is and based on what their defense is? When you see a defense doing something, do you pick up on it and call something to counteract that defense? When you see something, you know, all the way around, but I'm talking about LaFleur, the, the bottom line is he needs to be, he needs to have it so internalized that he knows when I see a defense doing this, this is what we're going to do. And then Aaron Rodgers gets a hold of that, so he understands certain things. He knows where his eyes need to be. It's just the potential of the offense just has me so unbelievably excited. It might all fall apart. Danny Vitale could be garbage. Jay Sternberger might not be able to do anything. Jimmy Graham might be in a wheelchair. And maybe LaFleur is a guy who, you know, could write a book on, you know, how Sean McVay runs his offense, but couldn't ever sit down and and run it. He's all theory, but no practice. We don't know. The only time he called plays was in Tennessee, and that didn't go super well, which, again, not really his fault. The offense was garbage. The quarterback was apparently so messed up he didn't have feeling in his hand. He built an offense around a tight end that didn't even play that year. And he finally decided, all right, we're just going to run the ball with this really big guy. And he just broke out and had a career year. So anyways, getting all kinds of crazy here. I got one more observation. Let's just take a break. I'll give you my last observation and we'll call it. All right, final observation. I want to, hopefully I got enough to say about this. This was another thing that... (laughs) It's not that well thought out. It was just a little tidbit. But considering we took a break, I should at least try to tack some minutes on here. But here was essentially the thought process. 
so if you look at what the Packers have done, and it was actually kind of interesting, and I don't remember if I said this in the interview or not, but when I was talking to uh, yesterday the the Saints podcaster Al, I think it was pre-recording, but I, I was just kind of going through and looking at the team and, and how kind of just stacked the team was. One of the things that I noticed is that they really don't have a ton of elite talent. They, they have a lot. I mean, there's no question about it, but it's not as though everybody's elite. They've got their one pass rusher. They've got their quarterback. They've got their running back. They've got their wide receiver, and that's kind of it. They've got a lot of other good players, but the biggest asset that they have is that they really don't have any real weaknesses. Maybe along the offensive line, there's like one or two spots, but they also possibly have the best tackle duo in the NFL, arguably. It's actually somewhat similar to the Packers situation with the great tackles. Um, I don't remember who their center is. Yeah, I think they actually drafted a center that's going to be replaced. Elton, not Elton, dummy, that's our guy, uh, Eric McCoy. But it, it was just kind of exciting because I realized, looking at it, that that's kind of the formula that Brian Gutekunst was going for. We have our elite pieces. We've got Aaron Jones, who if you don't want to call him elite, that's fine. I'm not calling him Alvin Kamara, but he's very good. We've got Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. We've got Devontae Adams. We've got, you know, Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, whatever. We'll, we'll say Kenny Clark. We've got those pieces. The, the biggest difference between the Packers and the Saints, I don't think, is the elite talent. I think it's the fact that the Packers have so many weaknesses, and the, and the Saints have done a great job of eliminating weaknesses. So everybody is good enough to just do their job, and then the elite pieces take it over the top. It's the reason that I like the Saints more than teams like the Rams and the Chiefs, despite the Chiefs being everyone's favorite. The Chiefs have a garbage defense. They just do. It's just not good. Maybe it'll get better. they got a new defensive coordinator switching to a 4-3 scheme. They've got different edge rushers. They've got, you know, a very good one that they got in free agency. But it's that lack of deficiency that I really like about the Saints. That is re- that's the kind of stuff that carries you through the playoffs. It's teams like the Chiefs that dominate the regular season that fall apart in the postseason because they don't have the defense. The Saints are the teams that carry through that. The Patriots are the teams that carry through that. You know, when the Packers won the Super Bowl, what did they have? They had a great defense that helped carry them through. The point is, though, when you look at what Brian Gutekunst did, it was very similar. He didn't get elite top-end guys. You know, he didn't go out and get the guy who's who's a top pass rusher but isn't great against the run. He went out and got well-rounded guys that are just going to probably be good enough that maybe have some elite tendencies, whatever. But Adrian Amos probably isn't going to be a top-five safety, but he's going to be real good. And he's got a really high floor. He's going to be consistent. He's going to be solid. He's going to make that tackle. He's going to, he's going to do his job. And I think a lot of the other guys, you look at Preston Smith, I don't expect high-end potential or production from Preston Smith, but I expect him to be a good, solid football player. Zadarius has, I think, um, if, if I had to, had to pick one guy that's going to be a, a stud of the free agents, it's probably going to be Zadarius. I mean, it could be Amos, could be Preston, could be whoever. So Darius, I mean, he he got paid the most, so it's safe money. But again, really high floor. More more you know more so than his ceiling being high, I think his floor is really high. I think he's going to be a good pass rusher, and I think he's going to be great against the run. He's got that versatility. I think he's going to be a guy that you just like being on your team. You know, it's a much more important position, but I would liken it to maybe a guy like Corey Lindsley. You know he's really good. You're very glad he's there even if you don't think of him as like this elite guy that you talk about all the time because everybody knows him and he's so great. He's just going to very quietly be a very consistent and solid football player is my thought. Same maybe could be said about Billy Turner. He hasn't had as good of of production, but you've seen the progress. You've seen him getting better. He should be a solid plug-and-play guy that's able to fit the scheme. Then you look at the draft. It's very similar. Jay Sternberger. 
He's not Noah Fant. He's not TJ Hawkinson. He doesn't have this like, oh, he's the best we've ever seen in our lives. But he's a solid football player. He's a great route runner. He's got great hands. He should be a solid contributor. Rashawn Gary. I don't know what his top end is going to be. It's He does have a relatively high ceiling depending on coaching. But again, with all these guys, you just feel kind of comfortable. Elton Jenkins, I don't know if he's going to be elite, but I think he's going to be good. The one guy that stood out that didn't seem to fit the formula was Darnell Savage. Darnell Savage, in my mind, was all upside. It was all like, man, he's going to be so good, or he's going to be kind of bad. And I thought it was weird that it was kind of like he's the one guy that kind of didn't fit the mold, and I kind of keyed in on that a little bit, and I think it sort of dawned on me that maybe it's because Brian Gutekunst doesn't see it that way. I'm sure they see the upside and the potential of of, as um, Darnell Savage as I do, as you do, as everybody else does. But the question is, did they depart from the formula and say, we're going to take a a, a flyer on this guy because we're willing to risk the low floor because of his high ceiling? Or is it possible that they're saying, I'm not departing from, from squat. This guy doesn't have a low floor. His floor is as high as anybody else. In other words, they're confident that this guy's not going to be a bust. Not that, I mean, of course, anybody you take in the first round you don't think is going to be a bust. But again, I'm talking about the difference between why do you take Zadarius over D4. D Ford was much more productive. D Ford's probably going to get more sacks this year than than uh, Zadarius. Probably, maybe, sorta. I don't know. Who knows? But point is, why? Why take Darnell Savage over? I don't know, like a Juan Thornhill or a Nasir Adderley or a Taylor Rapp. I don't. Nasir Adderley that doesn't fit. I'm having a hard time finding an example, so maybe that's kind of the point. But, you know, Taylor Rapp actually wouldn't be the worst. I know he had a horrifically slow 40 time, so maybe that kind of took him off. But you want to talk about, like, a solid guy. I mean, man, oh, man, doesn't get much better or solid than that. But Juan Thornhill, I think, is a great example as well. I don't think he had nearly the upside of a Darnell Savage, but I think he's he's pretty safe. But I, I guess the point is, what, what I believe to be the case at this point is I, I think the Packers and Brian Gutekunst's goal is to find... Just good football players, which is what I've been begging for forever. Although, you know, a lot of these guys still do have the, the high RAS and athletic testing and all that. But it's not it's not the old Al Davis formula of find guys that run fast that aren't necessarily great football players. These guys just have more of a feel of, especially the free agents, being safe. Fixing holes. Forget the upside. Let's just raise the floor a little bit. Because that's what's dropped out on this team is the floor. And I, I guess the point is, and the, the revelation I had is, I don't think Brian Gutekunst departed here. I don't think he gave up two fourth-round picks to move all the way up to get Darnell Savage because they believe he's all upside with a relatively low floor. I, I think they believe, similar to everybody else they drafted, similar to all the other free agents, I think they believe he's a safe pick, which is incredible because if you're telling me, whether it's true or not, but if you're telling me Darnell Savage is a safe pick but also has that kind of a ceiling, suddenly it kind of makes sense. Why did he go so early? Why did you give up so much? Because it's not just how how good of a prospect he can be, but he's also a relatively safe pick. He's not going to bust out. Of course, anybody can, but that's the thought process. So anyways, we're going to leave it at that. Again, head over to the Facebook group. Check out that uh, Marquez. Check out the Squez video. And then I just posted the Danny Vitale video, so be sure to check that out. That's a lot of fun to watch, man. Again, I fully understand it's a highlight video. Everybody looks good in highlights, and it's also college. But again, the scheme of it is is the point, and he's gonna he's gonna complement this offense very nicely, and I, I I hope it pans out. 
He still has to earn a spot on the roster, but I, I just hope he does. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.